Our uh, first uh, scripture reading is from the New Testament, uh, Paul's letter from the book of Colossians, uh, short passage, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Uh, one of my uh, favorites and one that I often uh, read at weddings. Paul says this, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we um, look at various characters in the Bible, we, we tend to look at who they were at the end of the story, and then we just kind of assume that that's who they were at the beginning of their story. Well, Esther uh, turned out to be a, a noble and saintly queen, a woman of charm and elegance, restraint, humility, modesty, and authenticity. But at the beginning, she was really just a teenaged beauty contestant, the kind of person to, who today we might make blonde jokes about. So here goes. You know I couldn't help myself, right? Why can't a blonde dial 911? And the answer is because they can't find the 11 on their phone. So going to affect our giving from the blondes in the congregation, I just know it. <laughs> Esther was a beauty queen. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Not going to look at the blondes the rest of the service now. <laughs> oh, no, they're over here, too. Uh, Esther was a beauty queen, a, a Near Eastern knockout, a, a Semitic sweetheart. She was Miss Persia, but as we're going to find out, as we hear the story, she was a whole lot more. Our, our story opens as Esther holds the fate of the nation of Persia at her fingertips. The Persian king has been duped by one of his nobles to sign a decree to exterminate all the Jews in the land. And her uh, cousin Mordecai says to Esther, what I believe may be one of the best all-time sound bites in the Bible. He says to her in chapter four, verse 14, who knows Esther? You may have come to your royal position for just such a time as this. It is the verse for which the book of Esther is best known for, and yet there is so much more to the story. And so this morning, we're going to look at the life of Esther, whose name means star, but more importantly, who is God's person in God's place at God's time, and it made all the difference in the world. And so I invite you to join me as I read from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 9 through 17, and then we're going to go into chapter 5, but just the first verse. I invite you to follow along as I read from God's word. It says, Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. 
Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Zuza and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now, chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, opposite the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne inside the palace, opposite the entrance to the palace. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. God, we pray that you would give us the, he the ears to hear this uh, remarkable story of Esther, uh, the wisdom that we might understand it, a faith that goes beyond our own understanding. But above all, Lord, give us the courage to be your people in just such a time as this, as we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. So let me ask you a question. What would you think if I were to preach from a book of the Bible that did not mention the name of God, not even once. Well, you might think you were sitting in the wrong church or perhaps we were using the wrong Bible. Well, the book of Esther has been a rather controversial book for the simple reason that it is the only book of the 66 books of the Bible that does not mention God or any other name for God. But if we take a closer look, I believe we're going to see the invisible, immortal, providential, wise hand of God moving through the pages of this story. On Friday, I had the privilege to go to Sight and Sound and see the Queen Esther drama, and it was wonderful. The, the cast, the music, the, uh, the pageantry, the set, it was all wonderfully done, and I was very, very impressed and moved by it. And as I was watching it, I was thinking that this story of Esther has just about everything you would ever want in a story. Courtly protocol, palace intrigue, harems with beautiful women, lord debauchery, assassination plots, and a villain that will make your blood boil. So, one, two, three, action. To begin with, the Jews are still captives in Persia, and this is during the time of King Xerxes. And the book opens with some shenanigans from the king. While hosting a very eloquent banquet for some of his friends, the king got drunk, and then he got in his mind the not-too-brilliant idea uh, to call for his wife, Queen Vashti, to come and, as it says, display her beauty. 
Well, Queen Vashti was not too interested in being entertainment for her husband's stag parties. And so right on the spot, King Xerxes ends the marriage, throws her out, and then he begins this search for a woman who would become the new Persian queen in a kind of Miss Persia beauty contest. The field gets narrowed down all the way to 12, one of whom is Esther, who is nominated by her cousin, Mordecai. And so already we see God's hand moving through the story because a Jewish woman of all people becomes the new queen of the nation of Persia. Now, things get really interesting as Mordecai uncovers this assassination plot against King Xerxes, while at the same time there's a feud which breaks out between Mordecai and one of the king's favorite nobles, a man by the name of Haman. See, you need to know that Mordecai is a proud Jew and there's just no way in a million years that he's ever gonna bow down to Haman. And Haman becomes so enraged that he vows that he's going to kill Mordecai and all the other Jews in the land. And so it's almost as if we have this first Hitler-like figure in the Bible. In fact, I heard that in most Jewish synagogues, there's a tradition that whenever Haman's name is mentioned, the people are allowed to hiss. So we have this dastardly villain in our story named Haman. And it's Haman who tricks the king into issuing an edict to exterminate all the Jewish people. I'm glad you're getting into this, by the way. Well, that triggers the message that I just read for you from a very panicked Mordecai to Queen Esther saying, Esther, you gotta help us. You gotta do something. You are our only hope. We're all going to die. You've gotta talk to the king. Then we have those famous words. You have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. I was born at Pascack Valley Hospital in Westwood, New Jersey on June 29th, 1962. And while this may come as a shock to you, no one has ever confused me for like Esther, like a beauty queen. <laughs> when my dad walked into the hospital room, he took one look at his firstborn son and said, that kid looks like an eggplant. To which a very sassy nurse said back to him, yes, sir, he looks just like you. <laughs> and while there's no truth to the rumor that my, uh, my mom started crying, I, I think it was actually a compliment. Because whenever it is that you enter the world, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, you were born for such a time as this. God has brought each of us through a complex set of circumstances and down winding roads right here to this very room or wherever you may be watching today. Now, one of the reasons why Esther is God's woman for her time is because Esther cares. In spite of her wealth, in spite of the fact that she lives in the lap of luxury, Esther is not insulated from the masses. She has a heart for the poor. She knows that she is there to serve the purposes of God. And friends, this morning, the same is true for you in your job and your throne. It may be that leather throne that you have in your office. It may be that seat of power you have as a, as a member of a board somewhere. It may be the chair of a committee right here at Chestnut Level. It may even be the recliner chair in your living room. 
Have you ever asked God, though, why am I here? And one of the reasons why I think we ask that question is because we want our lives to matter. We, we want our lives to count. We have a longing within us for significance. As Pastor Edwin McManus says, why else would we be dumb enough to want to grow up? He says this, here you are five years old and you want to be a doctor. Why on earth four? You don't need a job. All your bills are being paid. You have food, shelter, clothes, toys, a chauffeur, a personal bodyguard, and a private chef. <laughs> it's never going to get any better. So why change if not for a yearning for significance? Think about it. When we were little, what do we want to do? We want to become big, right? When we were five, we want to be 10, and then 15, and then 18, and then 21. Then we hit 40, and we come to our senses and say, I think I thought I'd be 35, <laughs> or 30, or 25, right? What, what, what drives us, though, is this quest for significance. You, you might want to call it a, a factory defect within us as human beings. I want my life to matter, and I want to make a difference. And so, friends, all that is to say is that we are here to serve the purposes of God in history. Our ability to influence, direct our dollars, affect people's lives. It is all the purposes of serving God. This morning, as you can see in your bulletin or on the screen by my sermon title, it's called the Esther Instinct. What is the Esther Instinct? It's the unshakable, God-given sense that I am a person for just such a time as this. I loved um, Steven Spielberg's movie, Lincoln. Of course, you know, it's about the long and trying process of abolishing slavery through the passage of the 13th Amendment in 1865. What you might not know is that Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 was very unpopular. But the Emancipation Proclamation turned the Civil War from a war about the preservation of the Union to the struggle for the rights of our nation's most disadvantaged people. Now, if Abraham Lincoln had proposed the Emancipation Proclamation to his cabinet, it would have been overwhelmingly opposed. In fact, one time he was asked about another controversial decision he made, and Lincoln said, I put it to the cabinet. It was eight to one, but I was the one. To be a Christian is to be the one. To be a Christian is to live our lives before an audience of one. As many of you know, I've now been at Chestnut Level for just over four years. And I think I can say, I hope I can say to you, that whatever challenges that this church may face, be it financial challenges or future staff hires or spiritual and numerical growth or new ministry offerings or how many worship services we are to have on a Sunday, our allegiance is to God and to God alone. You see, I believe that through God's divine providence, we have been put here at 1068 Chestnut Level Road for a reason. I believe that we are in the exact space, time, and place that God wants us to be. And until and unless God tells us to do something different, we have work to do right where we are for just such a time 
as this. Well, back to the story. Another month goes by with the king's edict still in place and still Esther does not make her move. Now, I want you for just a moment to put yourself in Esther's shoes. When she heard that she had to go talk to the king, her knees were probably shaking. She might have run to her laptop, opened it up, gone to monster.com and looked at other jobs thinking, I hate my job as a queen. I think I'll go be a cosmetics consultant. Esther is scared to death. Now, to appreciate her dilemma, you need to know a little bit more about King Xerxes. King Xerxes had this policy, you heard me read it earlier, that anyone entering or invading his space without being invited would be killed on the spot. In fact, there's a Greek historian who one time records that a, a storm came and destroyed one of Xerxes' bridges, and King Xerxes flew into such a fit of rage that he had the builders and the engineers killed, and then he ordered that the waters, the waters, even the waters, would be given 300 lashes. This is the same guy who is Esther's husband. And so into the presence of this egomaniac, Esther's going to have to walk alone and uninvited. You know, we don't necessarily get to pick and choose our moments of destiny. Opportunities are thrust upon us, and we either seize the moment or we let it slip through our fingers and potentially lose them forever. One of my uh, favorite movies is the movie The Sandlot. Love The Sandlot. And there's a teenager named Benny, and he has this dream where he is visited by the late, great baseball player, Babe Ruth. Have a look. Who's there? Don't go pee in your pants, but I'm just here to give you a name. But you're... Dead? Legends never die, Keith. But you're really him. You're the babe. The soul and slut. The king of crap. Crash and a hundred other dopey names. Forget about that stuff, kid. We ain't got much time. I'm here because you're in some kind of a pickle, right? Yeah. A baseball with my John Hancock on it, went over a fence and you can't get it back, right? Yeah, right. Then just hop over there and get it. Wait, wait. I can't. Can't what? I can't go into that backyard. Why not? There's a beast back there. What kind? A giant gorilla dog thing that ate one kid already. Is that a fact? Sit down, kid. Sit down. Let me tell you something, kid. Everybody gets one chance to do something great. Most people never take the chance, either because they're too scared or they don't recognize it when it spits on their shoes. This is your big chance, and you shouldn't let it go by. I mean, you remember when you busted the guts out of the ball the other day? Someone's telling you something, kid. If I was you, I'd listen. Yeah, but what? 
You're the one with the rubber legs. Figure it out. Esther knew that this was her opportunity. Esther knew that this was her time. And she looked at the cost of obeying God. She squared her shoulders. She swallowed hard. She stepped forward. And then she said, if I perish, I perish. And friends, that seems to be the turning point of the story here. Because as she says that in a total obedience to God, chapter five opens with these words, and Esther put on her royal robes. Only in the Hebrew, it means a lot more than, than just slipping on a gown and dressing for success. It means she assumed her royalty. By surrendering to God's power, she became draped in God's power. And she walked out of there like Wonder Woman saved the day. Or, if you like, perhaps Superman. I think if we were to think of our own lives, we go through our days bumbling and fumbling and stumbling like Clark Kent. Lois Lane laughs at him. Perry White won't give him any good assignments. Even Jimmy Olsen laughs at Clark Kent. But there's that moment when the bad guys are taking over Metropolis, and all of a sudden Clark Kent emerges from a phone booth faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And those bad guys don't stand a chance. Why? Because Superman came from another planet. He came from the planet Krypton, and he used the power from beyond to change the world around him. Esther pays a visit to God's phone booth, and she shakes off her doubts, and she shakes off her fears, and she clothes herself in the royalty of a child of God. She walks out of there as an unstoppable force. Friends, you can walk out of here today with a great big S on your chest, and people will see you coming and say, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Esther. <laughs> How to try that anyway. Can't you just picture this stunning woman approaching her husband on the throne dressed in her royal robe? She stands before him, calm and peaceful and made even more beautiful by the spirit of God within her. And poor King Xerxes doesn't stand a chance. He, he melts like butter. In fact, he dips the golden scepter and says, I will give you anything up to half my kingdom. Now, Esther is the one pulling the strings that saves the Jewish people. And in one of the sweetest moments of poetic justice, perhaps in all the Bible, Haman, thank you, <laughs> receives his punishment by being hung on the very same gallows that were built to hang Mordecai. And the Jewish people are not only spared, but they're given rights, and they're permitted to worship and live together. Friends, from one end of the Bible to the other, God displays his awesome power, especially when we follow his will. And if you don't believe me, just put it to the test this week or this next month. Do the very thing that God is asking you to do and see if he does not clothe you in the power of his royal majesty. And then just remember this. Even when you don't see anything going on, still have faith in the invisible hand of God 
leading you, guiding you, and giving you strength for just such a time as this. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to live at one of the most um, thrilling and pivotal times in history. And so we pray that you would give to each of us that irrational sense of destiny that comes to us through this Esther instinct that I've been talking about. To be in the church of Jesus Christ when the time is ripe with opportunities for spiritual growth, mission, worship, and fellowship. God, we know that we live in a time of crisis, and yet it's still a time of hope. A time when more than ever before, the church needs to be truly the church. To step out, and like Esther, to know that we are called for just such a time as this. God, we pray that we might surrender to the purpose that you have for us in this time. And so let us not miss our moment, but instead clothe ourselves in the majesty and power of your royal robes as we obey and serve your purposes in the world. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.